The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Just great to be here again. I love coming here. Okay, so today we're taking a look at Luke chapter 7, verse uh, 36 through 50. If you've got your Bibles with you, it won't do you any good because it's too dark to read them. Um, but we, uh, in a few minutes, we'll be putting it up here on the, on the uh, slide so that you can uh, see it and like that. So, and we're going to take a look at really how grateful are you? What's your response of grace? And also, what is your response when you see Jesus? When you've encountered Jesus, what is your response to Jesus? So we'll be talking about that. But to kind of set this up, I want to just uh, give a little... uh, Some of you know that, uh, well, uh, this church was started by Presbyterians. Okay, so Graham was a Presbyterian. And Presbyterians are kind of a funny group of people. Um, They are. I mean, who would choose that as a name, really? It doesn't mean anything. A Presbyterian. It just sounds like broken China or something. Um, but uh, the Presbyterian kind of group came through. Uh, in, back in the 1500s, you had uh, the first printing of the Bible in, for mass purchase by Martin Luther, the Luther Bible. And uh, you had a rising bourgeoisie uh, uh, merchant class that could read. And so these things were purchased. Um, and then you had the Reformation, which was a rediscovery of Scripture. It was a, just an exciting time in the history of the planet, rediscovering Scripture. And uh, because of this, there was a lot of uh, persecution of uh, Reformation people, people who were reading Scripture. And uh, John Calvin, who's kind of the father of Presbyterianism, uh, he uh, was a French guy living in France, got uh, run out of France, and uh, ended up in the city called Geneva, which is in Switzerland. And so most folks think of Presbyterians as kind of Swiss people. They're kind of from Switzerland, Geneva, Alps and cows and fields. Well, anyway, so I just wanted to give you a little warm-up for the sermon. Uh, there was, when God created the earth, he created the whole earth except for Switzerland. And then he created Adam and Eve, but then he created um, a Swiss guy. And so he went to the Swiss man and he said, so... Uh, what would you like in, in your creation in Switzerland? And the Swiss man said, oh, you know, I'd really like some nice big green fields. And so the, the um, God said, okay, great. Oh, and God made some great Swiss fields, great fields for uh, cows to eat on. And then he asked the Swiss man, what else would you like? And the Swiss man said to God, well, I'd really like some mountains. So God created the Alps, some of the most stunning mountains on the planet, just these massive Alps. They're big, massive. And, uh, and then uh, God said, well, what, what else would you like? And the Swiss man said, well, I'd really like some cows, some, the best milkers in the world. I'd really like some great cows. So God made some great cows and put them out there so there was Alps and great fields and great cows. And uh, the Swiss man turned to God and said, so God, what would you like? Can I do anything for you? And God said, you know what? I'd love a glass of milk. And so the Swiss man went up and he milked a cow, came back with a glass and gave God the glass of milk and said, that'll be $5, God. <laughs> kind of begs the question of how grateful you are, doesn't it? 
It's easy to think that everything should accrue to us. And it's easy over time to stop being grateful. We think that everything is our due. Everything that we have, the creation, our life, our breath, everything we deserve. And it's easy over time to start to lose our gratefulness to God for all of the great gifts that God has given to us. To set up our passage this morning, I want to give you a little cultural um, insight. Uh, back 2,000 or so years ago when Jesus was uh, speaking and teaching, he would go to the villages and towns. And village culture was quite a bit different. You know, they didn't have MTV or video games or anything. Um, the best they had were like maybe little flutes and drums that sing songs around uh, fires at night. Uh, village life was very much a community life, and everyone in the village knew everyone else. Uh, when um, an important person came to town, it was kind of like a reality TV show. Um, kind of like, uh, what is it? We have the world's greatest loser. This would be like the world's greatest Pharisee. And so you'd, uh, you'd go in, and, or the world's greatest rich man. Uh, but this would be a reality TV show, and everyone in the village would be there and invited. So even though the Pharisee invites Jesus over, none of these were small, closed dinners. They were all open to the village, all the time, every time. And so what would happen is um, the leaders and the important people in town would lean at table. There'd be a table in the middle that lean forward, feet out the back. Um, and even today, if you go to the Middle East and you're with uh, Arabic or Semitic people, you want to watch where you point your feet. Because if you put your foot or you know, put your foot towards a person, you're insulting them, which is really bad if you're with Bedouins, okay? So just, there's a tip for you the next time you're down uh, in Saudi Arabia, don't put, point your feet at the Bedouins, okay? Um, you're not appreciating that, I can tell. <laughs> but, um, so that'd be lying like that. And then everyone in the village would be coming through the house. It, partly it was a way of the, the important person to share with the village, It'd be like an open potluck. The people dining in the center would get the first food, and then when that course was done, it would go to the tables out, and then the second course would come. And they'd never eat everything uh, before them. And so it was like a potluck for the whole village. Well, that's a good deal if you're a villager and you're wanting to get, you know, you get, you get entertainment because you get to hear the speaker. And rabbi's a very important, uh, uh, Jesus is a very important rabbi. And he comes, he's invited to dinner, he's in the town. This is going to be great. Let's go and see what he has to say. Could be exciting time. They've heard about other people getting healed and demoniacs healed and guys getting led down out of roofs. And, I mean, what's going to happen this time? It could be very exciting. And uh, so the, they're all, the village is excited and uh, Jesus is invited. And that kind of sets it up. The whole village knows what's going on. They're all invited. And so now let's take a look at the scripture. Luke seven thirty six. Now one of the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees were kind of the rich religious, uh, right, uh, uh, important people of the day. They were kind of like Presbyterians. Uh, well, they thought themselves important, like Presbyterians. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. That's that reclining. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. 
And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, knowing what I just told you about feet, this is a very uh, scandalous and kind of an amazing uh, type of event. Verse 739, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. Two men owed money, and this is what's called an encased parable. You'll see Jesus telling a story, and then there'll be a little parable in the middle. Uh, that's your Bible study moment for the day, an encased parable, a little parable to make the point. Two men owed a mon- money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and a denarii was one day's work. So if you made, um, say you made, uh, so 500 days is about a year and a half, and so if you make $20,000 a year, that would mean owing $30,000. If you make $50,000 a year, to mean owing about $75,000. So it's a big amount, a year and a half's wages. And then uh, the other 50, so that's one-tenth the amount. Neither of them had the money to pay him. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So pray with me. Gracious God, this is your word. And unless your Holy Spirit enlivens it for us in our minds and moves it to our hearts, uh, we're, we're not here. Uh, we're not hearing you. So, Lord, open our ears, our eyes to hear you speak to us, dear Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. One of the things to notice is the, Jesus describes what's normal uh, Palestinian uh, uh, etiquette for welcoming a special guest into a home. There's water given for the sandals. The sandals have been walking around in the dust of Palestine. They're kind of like nasty by the time you get to town. And so you want to wash your feet because your feet are kind of like nasty. I think that's why they have that Semitic thing of not thinking feet are too cool. And so you have that. Normally men would greet one another with a kiss on each cheek. That was uh, common back uh, 2,000 years ago. Not so common today. Um... And you also had um, anointing with oil, which was uh, the honor of a guest. Olive oil just on the forehead was another welcome, a kiss, and a touch of olive oil. It was just part of their uh, welcoming uh, kind of activities. 
And so that, that's kind of what is going on. And this fellow Simon has not provided any of these normal welcoming things. So what has happened for this woman, she has seen this and known that Jesus is being disrespected. Furthermore, in village culture, Jesus has not only been disrespected by the Pharisee, but his actions actually push back out on the whole village. Uh, you remember in scripture where Jesus talks about if you go into a village and they don't hear me, uh, knock the dust of your shoes off on the ground. In other words, it was almost a, an ignoring of a whole village because uh, Jesus or the disciples were not received. So this village culture is very important uh, back then. And so here's this woman who responds uh, by uh, offering to Jesus the normal welcoming, but in her own way. And we'll come back to that and talk about that. Now, the householder is appalled. Uh, he feels that this kind of extravagant display is really scandalous. And I've got to tell you, okay, so say we have a potluck and I'm cool. I'm, I'm an important person in town. And um, say we're all laying around and some woman comes up and lets her hair down and weeps on my feet and, you know, wipes them with her hair and, I mean, would that not be kind of bizarre to you? Would you be a little bit worried about her, about her mental health and everything? I mean, you would. This is not normal behavior. But her compassion and passion for Jesus was high. The, and so the Pharisees scandalized. It's easy to make light of this woman because she's in this very, very vulnerable uh, setting. And uh, Jesus receives her. Jesus actually receives the foot washing. I know if I was at a potluck at your place and someone came up and started pouring perfume on my feet, I'd say, you know, Richard, come and get this woman away from my feet. I'm, my feet are getting stinky with this perfume. I mean, I'd, I'd intervene. The amazing thing is, what does Jesus do? Jesus lets her. Wow. Jesus lets her. The Pharisee, of course, says, well, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know about her sin and reject her and the gifts she brings. And then you get the two debtors story. And then finally at the end, Jesus looks at the woman and says, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. I've got a question. Why is this woman's sins forgiven? Why are they forgiven? What in the world is Jesus doing? How can he talk of forgiveness? How can he forgive someone? What confession did we see her make? Um, imagine for a, a minute that, um, say you did something bad to someone. Um, say you uh, were in charge of, uh, I don't know, repairing their car. Say you're an auto mechanic. You repair their car. They go out. They go out on the highway. And say uh, two wheels come off and the transmission falls out. That would be a bad day, right? Okay. And... Um, and the mechanics say they were a member of Highlands, and they came up to me and said, oh, Jan, I did that. I forgot to put lug nuts on and stuff, and, you know, transmission bolts were a little loose. And, uh, and I said, well, I forgive you. What? I'm not the person primarily involved in being hurt. The person with the car is primarily the one who needs to forgive them. What is Jesus doing forgiving sins? And this is the beginning of what... Jesus does that will end up losing his life. He's God. That's who he is. 
And when God forgives sins, God forgives sins. Because though there's a person involved in being hurt, all sins are sins against God. And God is the one who can forgive. Jesus is God. Why is this woman forgiven? It's simply this. Anyone who comes to Jesus and honors him is forgiven. Do you get that? That is really the gospel. It's coming to Jesus. That's the gospel. It's seeing Jesus and saying, I believe. I will follow. I want to be his. Now, there, there's some discussion um, by some folks about, well, maybe you have to confess first. And the sawdust trail of forgiveness and our, our classic uh, evangelical uh, system within the churches is oftentimes about, you know, you need to forget, f- confess, and then accept Jesus. But there's the sense here that Jesus makes it very clear. Move towards Jesus and forgiven sins follow. It's almost a sense that if you don't meet Jesus and don't hear what's right and wrong, how do you know what sins to confess? If you think of our culture, what kind of culture do we live in? We live in a culture that to a large extent wants to try and call all sins okay and normal behavior. In other words, whatever you want to do is fine. Whatever you want to do is fine unless it violates some law, and even then it might be okay in your own mind. We live in a world that has completely depreciated sin, so most folks who come to church don't even know what sin is. They're not teaching Bible stories at elementary school. Uh, Half the population doesn't even go to church. Their children have no encounter with the right and wrong that's taught in Scripture. How can people know the truth of what is right and wrong, what's sin and not, unless they encounter God and hear the word of God. And I think the, the, attraction, the attracting part of who Jesus is is who we need to bring to our communities and tell folks about the love of Jesus and invite them to follow him and draw near to him. So why is this woman forgiven? It's a gospel. And it kind of begs the question of, will we give our hearts and our gratitude to Jesus? Are we willing to be thankful to him? Are we willing to go to him and give thanks to him? Now, the other guy is the self-righteous guy, the guy who's forgiven little. And it really is this Pharisee. And the Pharisee is kind of self-righteous. But do you think he's not a sinner? He just thinks he's not a sinner from the other side, doesn't he? Pharisee has a a big list of rules, and he keeps his rules, and he figures he's just fine. But think of what this guy has been doing. Think of his attitude of grace and kindness. We don't see it here, do we? He doesn't invite and welcome people to God. He just goes out there and kind of judges people. He's self-righteous. Let's take a look at him. And, And actually, I think that's the big risk for church people. When I go around and I I try and tell people about Christ and invite them to consider the claims of Christ, uh, and I ask them, so what is it that kind of keeps you from Christ or from being involved in church? Uh, About 30 to 40% of those folks say, it's the church people. The church people are the problem. They're just so judgmental, and they just make me feel small, and they're all looking to see if I'm a sinner or not. And, uh, you know, kind of like a sinner scorecard. My card's better than your card. 
And, and don't we do that in life? I mean, this kind of one-up, one-downsmanship. If you really want to be one-up or be a winner, one of the best ways to be a winner is to put the other person down. If you can just keep pushing enough people down, then all of a sudden you're on top. And uh, this kind of uh, self-righteousness and self-aggrandizement within the church even. And we see this with the Pharisees and we can see it with uh, church people. So just a little self-examination this morning is worth looking at. Let's look at Simon. It's easier to point at someone else's problems than to point at our own. But let's see if, uh, if any of these kind of resonate with you. Oh, and a little confession. They all resonate with me. Here's Simon. Deep levels of pride. Just a lot of pride. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's kind of an arrogance there, isn't there? Just this arrogance, even towards the Savior. And Jesus was known as a rabbi, even towards a respected rabbi. Just this arrogance of being better than others. A hard-heartedness. Where's his heart? Where's his heart? And then even hostility. And then kind of a judgmental spirit. Um, if you were to ask me where I am theologically, I, I'd be kind of a biblical, evangelical conservative kind of person, but I'm not a Tea Party person, okay, so I'm not there, but I'm kind of a conservative person, so most of my friends and buddies are kind of conservative kind of people, and one of the things I find when I'm with that group is it's very tempting to start to figure out who's in and who's out in the kingdom. Do you ever do that? No, of course not, because you're in Highlands, it's an adventure, you never fall victim to that. But they kind of go, well, you know, I don't think they're going to be in heaven. And I'm kind of going, and so I always say to them, sheep, goats, sheep, goats. Who is supposed to be the author? Who is supposed to be the one doing the sheep, goats thing in this uh, parable in Scripture? I think it's only God. Isn't there something about judge not, lest you be judged? I mean, isn't there something about embracing and loving people into the kingdom, not just kind of defining them as being out of the kingdom? Is our, is our job to build up barriers and, and walls between one another? Or is it to have, think of Jesus Christ with his arms out on the cross, surrounding the whole world, and saying, I died for the world. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son. Not just my party or my cool people. The whole world. We're in Zimbabwe because we believe that. That's who we are, the whole world. So if you find yourself doing sheeps, goats, sheep, goats, watch out. No understanding of what really defiles a person. Jesus helped define that. And just a rejection of sinners. One of the things that we need to be about as Christians is helping folks find the Christ that defines who we are. Helping them encounter Jesus telling them stories of how Christ has redeemed us and saved us and how we all are sinners. Is there anyone here who's not a sinner? Would you raise your hand? Well, gee, it's unanimous. Oh, Caleb. Insensitivity. I think misunderstanding the nature of God's forgiveness, just completely misunderstanding it. And then uh, there's, there's some healthy sexism here. I think the worst criticism is that Simon witnessed the woman's actions and missed 
her movement towards God. But you only get that when you realize that Jesus is God. One of the things I love about uh, summer is in the summer, I kind of, I'm an immigrant. I'm a first generation. Uh, we moved from New Zealand, uh, went across the Pacific on a boat with one engine, and it was slow, you know, the slow boat to Vancouver. And uh, so we got here. I'm a naturalized citizen, so don't, you know, kick me out yet. But I love the USA. I chose to be here. I mean, I chose to be here. I understand why everyone on the planet wants to be here. This place is a treasure. I mean, the civility of people for one another, by and large, the, 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 the opportunity for people is just, just awesome. And so when I think of summer, from Memorial Day when we remember the price it costs for this freedom, and the 4th of July, right in the middle of the summer, where we celebrate independence, we celebrate again how, how, how wonderful this country is. And then even on Labor Day, when we, we know it's our last shot at having a good time, um, you know, and in the middle, the gazillionaires are loading up their RVs with gas and going to Yellowstone and places, and they're having a great time. Um, I, I love the summer um, because it just is, it's a time when Americans get in touch again with, uh, with the land and with their country. And I just love that. Um, and I think one of the things that, uh, that I treasure for the country is that we rediscover our, our faith again. That we rediscover our faith again. And the kindness and the lack of class consciousness, even this, you know, we're the 99% and they're the 1%. Well, forget it. We're just the 100%. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all need to care for one another. And, and building class divides and all of these is just building more walls into our country. Um, I remember I, I have a bunch of friends who are gazillionaires. It's really nice to have a few because I'm not. I'm like a penny a, penny a layer, um, a dollar a layer. Anyway, they're gazillionaires. And um, so I've gone with them um, helicopter skiing. They buy my way helicopter skiing so that I can pray for snow for them. It works for me. <laughs> so we're, we're out in uh, skiing in Lamoille, which is near Alco, and these are all in eastern Nevada. And uh, we flew into Alco uh, right after 9-11, so it was January of uh, 2002. They just started to um, hire on security people at all the airports. And so it was just kind of fresh and new. And uh, so we, we got in all fine, but then we were checking out of Alco, and it was, you could tell it was all new for everybody. And they had hired a, a, and I'm with gazillionaires, and they're kind of Pharisaic kind of people. You know, we have money, you don't, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, there was a woman there, one of the new TSA agents. She had the uniform on, and she'd uh, combed her hair, and she, uh, the four top teeth in her mouth were missing. Uh, you could tell she'd had a hard life, but she'd gotten a job with the feds, and she had benefits, and she, had, uh, she was looking good. She was doing the best she could. It was new, and she was there, and she was looking good. And so we went through security. It was a little rough. They were still trying to figure out what to do with the wands and things. And, um, but we, and it's Alco. I mean, this is not New York City. So uh, we got through, and we were sitting waiting for the plane, 
And my gazillionaire friends are saying, could you believe that girl with four, no teeth, and oh gee, look at the TSA. This is the kind of security we're going to have. So she, they were doing that, and I just said, no, guys, normally my job is to only pray for snow. But let's think about this. Let's think about this woman. Here's a woman who hasn't had four teeth. Don't you know that no one looks her straight in the face? She probably gets very little attention or very... No, no one kind of looks at her as if she's a beautiful woman walking in the room. And she's had this for years, and now she has a job with benefits. Next time we come by in a year, she'll probably have teeth. Uh, don't you know that this is a great answer to prayer for them? So they were appropriately abused. They didn't invite me back on their ski trip, but... <laughs> But, but that's the heart we want to have as people. Over 170 years ago, Alex de Tocqueville came to this country to study what made America great. And at that time, we were an emerging uh, nation. Those of you who are tempted to hate the French, just remember, without the French, uh, you'd still be under Queen Victoria um, because it was the French who really saved our bacon in, during the Revolutionary War. Um, Anyway, um, de Tocqueville, uh, who was French, that's why I said this, uh, traveled the land from north to south all over to try and discover what made the democracy of America work because it was so different than the democracy and the Republican Revolution in France. It was so different because the French Revolution was uh, dialing apart, was spinning apart. Uh, Then one day on a Sunday, which was an off day for him, he went to church. He didn't normally go to church, but he went to church. And this is what he said. He found it within the sacred places of the American churches. This is the secret of what makes America great. People from everywhere worshiping one God, all nationalities, economic classes, races, bowing humbly before God. I found the secret, he wrote. No other nation has it. These people, the Americans, received their power from the one who made them and made it all from something somewhere out beyond themselves. And he found the secret of who makes America great. I love my brother here uh, with the, uh, he's got the flag and he's got the cross. And we don't want to wrap those two too close together. Uh, we don't. We want to be cautious about that. But we need to know that the world in which we live, the world needs to hear about Jesus, folks. There is no cure for what ails this country right now except for Jesus and a knowledge of a God who loves us and cares for us. It means changing the way we do things. And like this woman, uh, we need to stand for Jesus, don't you think? I mean, I like this woman. I kind of see her going there and uh, seeing Jesus get dissed and kind of going, oh, this is disgusting. I can't watch this. And she's kind of going home. So she gets this alabaster jar of ointment. Uh, It'd be hard for her to actually have brought it with her just hauling it around town all day. But she gets this thing, she probably has it at home, comes back and says, she's saying to everyone there, no one is going to treat my Jesus like this. No one is going to disrespect Jesus like this. And I'm going to show them what it looks like to love Jesus. And this is how servant-oriented I can be. This is how much I love Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to stand for Jesus. And men and women... I think this is a season for us to be thinking of how we're going to stand for Jesus. You know he loves you. If you're here and you've never encountered Jesus and you want to talk to someone about Jesus, 
you need to know he loves you, right who you are and where you are. There's people around here who want to talk to you about Jesus too. And there's people that you know, folks, those of you who are long-time disciples, who've walked the, the sawdust trail, who know you're sinners and you've been saved by grace. There are people around you who are dying. They literally are dying because they do not know the Lord. So share with them. Stand for Jesus, right? You want to stand for Jesus? Yeah, I do too. So let's do that. Pray with me. God, help us to stand for you, to stay close to you, and to walk with you. Thank you for forgiving our sins because we've moved close to you. And Lord, you know our sins are many. They're always before us. But Lord, we thank you for your kindness and grace. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.